I come from the family, uh, the family of <laughs> the family of Sam. <laughs> yes, the family of Ham. An unfortunate name, <laughs> but a great family. I had a pretty good life as a boy. I had a room to myself. And Mum and Dad let me paint cartoon pictures on the wall. Mum was a great cook. She uh, prided herself in being able to stuff my brother and I with food. And uh, she was also very affectionate. She loved to hug us and kiss us and was very, very loving. And my brother was good too most of the time. We spent hours of time playing together, uh, enjoying one another's company, talking and laughing. And then there's Dad. He's a redhead uh, with a red beard, kind of a Celtic version of Moses. Parting the Red Sea every morning in the, in the bathroom mirror and leading his family into the promised land of milk and honey, which Mum had a massive stack of in the fridge. Seriously though, my dad was a hard worker. And he did. He provided faithfully for all of us. Even though we weren't rich, I never, ever felt poor. And although both he and Mum were criticised for being hard on my brother and I, I don't remember feeling hard done by. But I do remember him playing with me on the beach and teaching me a little later when I was older how to catch a wave in the ocean and how to play the guitar so that we could sing and play together, which is what we did. And as an angry teenager, he'd walk with me for hours around the neighbourhood as I pounded out my frustrations on the footpath. And I remember after a particularly hard point in my life, he wept with me. I had a pretty good at home. I wanted for nothing and I knew I was loved. And so it was pretty easy to love my dad and my family. I just did. Being a ham was a good thing, despite the name. <laughs> you know, as Christians, we've got it even better. Even if your family wasn't or isn't as rosy as mine was, God has given us his Son and his Spirit so that we have eternal life and are his children. We're part of God's family. And today's passage from Romans 8 is our spiritual birth certificate. Well, let's pray before we get into it. Father God, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Please help us to listen to you and to love you more and more. Amen. Amen. Don't you hate it when you're told not to do something? I've got a brother-in-law whose name is Matthew. The first time we met, I called him Matt. He stopped me and he said, OK, let's start over. My name is Matthew. Now, I know a lot of people called Matt. None of them are called Matthew. They're Matt. I'm Matt. And I found it really hard to call him Matthew. And occasionally, you know, I just call him Matt. Because that's what I wanted to call him. I don't like being told what I can't do. And in chapter 7 in Romans, Paul has described the Old Testament law in much the same way. Even though the Old Testament law is good and right, 
It doesn't do anything about that thing inside, you know, that thing that says, well, I want to do what I want to do. That thing that just makes you want to sin, the sinful nature. And so because of the law, we've got two big problems. First, we've all sinned, and the law says that the punishment for sin is death. We all deserve death and hell. And the second big problem is that sinful nature. But as we read in Ezekiel, just as God said he would, he's fixed the situation under the law. He's dealt with sin and death by giving us Jesus and he's dealt with the sinful nature by giving us his spirit. Sin and death is dealt with by Jesus. So now we're in the spirit. We're not in the sinful nature. Take a look at verse 1, if you've got it there. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. As a sin offering, Jesus has paid for our sin by dying in our place. By sending Jesus to be a sin offering, God condemned our sin, so to speak. Sin and death is dealt with by Jesus. Take a look at the second half of verse 3. And so he, God, condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Jesus not only fulfilled the parts of the law that deal with sin and death, Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus died the death we should have and lived the life we should have. And so a bit like an exchange, Jesus gets our sin and death and we get his righteousness and life. There's nothing more that we can do to make things better between us and God. Jesus has done it all. If we believe in Christ Jesus, we're in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law is dealt with. Sin and death is dealt with by Jesus. So we're not under the law of sin and death. We're not slaves to the sinful nature anymore. We're in the spirit. And then from verse 5 through to verse 13, Paul contrasts being in the sinful nature to being in the spirit to show just how much we've been given in Christ. Being in the spirit means we're alive now, spiritually, and will be raised from the dead into eternal life. And the contrast between the sinful nature and the spirit, it couldn't be greater, could it? They're opposites. They're like black and white, hot and cold, fun and cricket, love and hate, life and death. Being in the spirit is life. Being in the sinful nature, it's death. Look at verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Without the spirit, no one can please God. Any thought of God is one of tension and hostility. Left to our own devices, 
We can't know God or obey his law or please him. We can only sin and face death. The sinful nature takes us straight to hell. The sinful nature is death. But the spirit is life because in the spirit we belong to Christ, verse 9. And that means we've got Christ's righteousness, verse 10, which makes us alive. Even though our bodies are dying, we're alive now. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be too. Because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit in us. Take a look at verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. In the spirit, God's giving us eternal, resurrected life. And so we're obliged to be led by the spirit not by the sinful nature. Take a look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It makes sense to cooperate with the Spirit in getting rid of the misdeeds of the body, in resisting sin, because well, sin is something you do in the sinful nature, not in the spirit. It's like deliberately calling my brother-in-law Matt and expecting him to like me. It's not going to happen. Resisting sin with the help of the spirit means we'll live eternally. More than that, it means we're sons of God. Take a look at verse 14. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. How do you know if you're a son of God? Well, if you believe in Jesus and you're trying not to sin, then you're being led by the Spirit. And that means you're a son of God. We were in the sinful nature, looking death and hell down the barrel. But now God has saved us by sending Jesus. We're alive now in the Spirit. And we'll be raised from the dead into eternal life. Being in the sinful nature was only ever death. But now, thank God, being in the Spirit is life, eternal life. And as we saw in verse 14, if you believe in Jesus, if you're in the Spirit, that means you're in the family. But what does it look like to be in God's family? What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, first up, it means we can call God Father. Take a look at verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We shouldn't fear God like a judge or a cop. We didn't receive something that brings us uh, the tension or anxiety of judgment. We're not in the sinful nature. We've received the spirit of sonship. God is our Father. In one sense, we're free to stuff up and to sin. We're his children. We can be confident he'll forgive us. He, he's already dealt with our sin in Jesus. He's the father every one of our fathers should have been like. Perfect, loving, firm and trustworthy. Relax 
we can call on God not in fear but as Father. And the Spirit makes this true for us, even in our very soul, in our spirit. Take a look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit not only made us God's children so that we can call on him as Father, the Spirit makes us aware that we are God's children. You're not imagining it if you think of God as your Father. That's the Spirit. The other day, I was looking after some kids while their mums were uh, doing Bible study. Daniel Reed was one of those kids. And his dad, Jeff, popped his head in at uh, one point. Now, Daniel was quite content up until that point. But as soon as he saw Jeff, his face lit up. You can't manufacture that kind of reaction, can you? Daniel was more than aware who Jeff was. He's his dad. Are you aware of God as your father? Do you cry out to him in times of trouble? Or when you're happy? Or when you're tempted to sin? Or even when you've stuffed up? I remember a while ago now, I'd done some pretty bad things and I was very ashamed of them. I was so racked with guilt and shame, I felt like it was eating me up. I had to tell somebody. And so I told Dad. I expected him to be very disappointed and upset. But if he was, he didn't show it. Instead he told me he was proud of me for confessing. I can't remember feeling more secure than at that moment. And he's just my earthly dad. He couldn't know the people I'd hurt and the extent of my sin, not like my heavenly father knows. I hadn't hurt him by my sinning like I had my heavenly father. And yet our father, God, our heavenly father, who knows our sins more than we ever will, has washed them away in the blood of his son and given us his spirit to help us not to sin. How does the spirit help us? Well, the more I've come to know my dad and how much he loves me, the less I want to do what upsets him. I love him. I want to do what pleases him. And I think in the same way, the Spirit makes us want to do what God wants by making sure we know that God is our Father. And what's more, as God's children All the privileges and blessings of being a member of God's family are ours. Take a look at verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Our inheritance as heirs of God is the fulfilment of all God's promises in Christ promises to forgive his people's sins and to give them eternal life and to give them his spirit. All promises fulfilled in Jesus which makes us co-heirs with Christ. Although we must share in Christ's sufferings which is next week's passage we'll share in the glory of Christ. Like Jesus we'll be raised from the dead into eternal life knowing God as our Father now 
with the sure hope of sharing eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what it means to be a child of God. That's what it looks like to be in God's family. When I was living uh, with mum and dad, I never thought of running away from home. Neither did my brother. In fact, he didn't leave home until he was in his mid-twenties. He knew he had it too good. I mean, can you imagine the scenario of me running away from home? Running away from all those good things and love uh, at home for what? A gutter in the street? An empty stomach? Miserable loneliness? Mmm, tempting. God has given you all you could ever hope for or dream about. He saved you from sin and death. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you eternal life. He's given you an intimate relationship with himself as his child. You can honestly call him father. You know he's your father because you know and trust in his son. And both the father and the son have given you the spirit the spirit that unites you to Christ and makes you aware of God as your Father and gives you the sure hope of eternal resurrected life. You're caught up in the loving embrace of God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so it's a very small thing, our obligation to the Spirit, the obligation to try not to sin. Why run away from all God has given you to avoid so little? Why run away from the one who loves you and gives you so much? Why play around with sin? Now you may think you're a terrible Christian, always stuffing up and struggling to do do the right thing. Relax. Keep trusting in Jesus and do your best not to sin, but don't fear God. He's your Father. You're in the family and you've got eternal life to look forward to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us so much you gave us your son to die for our sins and saved us from death and judgement. Thanks for your spirit who frees us from the sinful nature to live for you as your children. We cry out to you, Father, that you protect us from anything that takes our eyes off you and your love for us. And thank you that in Christ, by faith, we are truly home. Amen.